0: Welcome to Pedagog, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, Crystal Van Coten talks about digital media and composing with videos and first-year writing, podcast and audio production, and digital rhetoric and composition as a methodology. Crystal Van Coten is an associate professor of writing and rhetoric at Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan, where she teaches courses in the professional and digital writing major, and in first-year writing and serves as co-managing editor of the Journal for Undergraduate Multimedia Projects. Dr. Van Coten's work focuses on digital media composition through engagement with how technology shaped composition practices, pedagogy, and research. Her digital book, Transfer Across Media, Using Digital Video in the Teaching of Writing, is available from Computers and Composition Digital Press. Crystal, thanks so much for joining us. Your teaching and research interests focus on digital media and video composition. And I was hoping that we could talk about how you use media and video in first year writing classes. And maybe you could talk more about or share a particular audiovisual assignment that you use. Yeah,
1: thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to talk to you today and to be on the podcast. Um, so I guess my interest in teaching with video Um, has always been intertwined with first-year writing. Um, As a graduate student, I was teaching first-year writing and doing a lot with video um, myself as as an author, um, learning how to compose videos, and then also asking my students to do the same, to compose with videos in the first-year writing classroom. Um, And so I feel like as long as I've been studying this, um, teaching with video and writing um, and learning, I guess, learning the rhetoric of, of video and audio and visual text have been all been intertwined for me. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'm happy to talk about how I do it now and sort of how I got there along the way over the past few years of studying this and working with students on this. So the way I teach first year writing now is um, I teach it as a process of inquiry and research. And so the whole class is sort of meant to build um, as students select a topic that they'd like to look into and inquire into, um, and then using all sorts of different resources—multimodal resources and print resources—to um, to do research into their topic and then to learn how to communicate what they've researched and perhaps in the end an argument about their topic, um, and so. I have them decide on what topic they would like to look into for a few weeks at the beginning of the semester. I feel like this is a really important part of writing classes that are based around inquiry is trying to figure out what you want to research. And as we all know from teaching students, sometimes um, they don't know what they want to research and especially when you have an open topic option you know, getting them to find something that they care about and want to write about and want to research is really important. So I, I try to offer that space for them. I think it's important for students to write and research about something that they really care about and want to want to select. So I, I provide that space and then we take some time to, to find the topics. And so they propose their topic to me once they've decided. Um, and then I actually I've I've done it several ways in first year writing where we put the multimodal project at the end of the semester. And you often see that too with remediation assignments where students will research and write a paper. And then at the end of the semester, they'll do a remediation project. Um, I've actually experimented with putting it lots of different places in the curriculum, putting the multimodal composition work in in multiple places, and I found that I like it best, and it works really well for students if you don't put it at the very end. Um, if you if you try to weave in multimodal composition and multimodal research throughout the, um, the students' entire research and writing experience. Um, so we do little things throughout the whole semester to you know get them introduced to you know what does writing with sound and writing with images entail, and if I'm researching and I'm looking for um, you know media sources and multimodal resources where do I look and what kinds of things am I looking for and how do those work with with print sources that we might be more used to working with in the classroom but we do a big inquiry through video project I guess is the main um the main big multimodal assignment that I do with first year writers and so we propose our research we do some research and we do an annotated bibliography um, assignment And then we do the inquiry through video project before we actually write any sort of academic standard research essay. (laughs) So that's the big assignment that I do with students. They, um, as I said, for their annotated bibliography project, they do different kinds of research and I require them to find different kinds of sources. So they find some print sources, but then um, lots of different kinds of multimodal sources. So I ask them to go to look for images and infographics and videos and podcasts. And they, they, I hope that they can sort of survey um, the the land of their topic um, when they're looking for those different kinds of sources, and then of course you know some books and articles too. <laughs> and then they have to decide which of those sources, or they can go find others that they want to use to make their inquiry through video project.
0: Are there particular platforms you encourage students to use for this video assignment, and are there certain skills or components of the production process? That you emphasize as students do this work.
1: It's it's a fairly open assignment in that I want them to y- use their research and talk about their topic in video format. Um, but I do encourage them to think about the different modes of expression that they choose to use in the video and how the modes of expression are working together to to get the message that they want to get out there through the video. So um, you know I'll say what visual aspects are you you do want to put in the video what linguistic aspects you know we use the five modes of expression from the new london group uh, and so there's linguistic visual aural, spatial gestural modes of expression and you know which of your media assets fall within this mode or you know they're not always just one mode but uh, you know this one is predominantly sound and so we have some sound we want to work with here or some music or some speaking um we have some visuals we have some written language that we want to put in or spoken language. And then think about when we put this all together in the video project, how does it work together to, to put a message out there to an audience or to audiences? Um, so sometimes you know, students have made some videos maybe or maybe some students have never made a video before. And so this is all new to them. You know, How do you best put a video together? They've watched lots of videos and films in their life. Um, but when you start making them, you really realize what goes into to creating a media product that has layers in it. You know, there's lots going on when you even just have a visual and one sound. You know, you have to put those two things together. You have to line them up. You have to decide what gets juxtaposed. You know, when I see this, what do I hear at this moment? Um, and so we talk about things like cross-modal juxtaposition, where you can put different things, you know, like a sound might align with the image, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe the image and the sound are doing different work in that moment, different rhetorical work, um, but you put them together in that way for a reason, whether they're supposed to work together or whether they're supposed to be sort of doing different things at that moment. So it's complicated. And usually with first year writers, you get a start on that stuff. You talk a little bit about it and they can do some really cool and awesome things with
0: it. You teach a class called podcasting at Oakland University. Do you mind talking more about this class and what you hope students learn through podcast sound and audio production?
1: I'm excited to talk about this class um, because I've always been very interested in sound and because I've done so much work with video, obviously sound is a huge part of. What you do if you're composing on video and so when i got the opportunity to teach the podcasting class for the first time i was excited to dive more into specifically the rhetoric of sound um and the uh the rhetoric of sound is sort of exploding as a subfield within our larger field of rhetoric and writing there are so many folks now that are focusing on sound rhetoric and rhetoric of music and, and that kind of thing. And there's lots of new cool things to read and listen to in our field, podcasts, obviously like this one that are exploding. And so there's so much going on that is great material for a class like this for podcasting. So I was very excited that I got to teach this because I, 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 I love to learn more about it as I go when I teach something like this. So when I teach podcasting for undergraduates, I want to introduce them to composing with sound and to the rhetoric of sound in our field of writing studies. That's one of my major goals. Um, I want them to listen to a lot of different types of audio stories and sound work that's out there, um, learn how to analyze it and think about it, and and talk and write about it in a way that's a little bit more specific than just you know I liked it or or whatever. <laughs> and then I want them to compose with sound. I think it's you know composing through media and through sound you learn a lot about how the how the how the media and the medium works Um, but then also it it causes new ways of thinking I think in you as a composer when you do those things and so thinking through music and thinking through juxtapositions of music and voice is really cool and an important experience for writers, I think so. And then there's a lot of traditional writing with podcasting too, a lot of scripting and planning and organizing and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so those are all things we do in the podcasting class. Yeah, I have them do a couple of audio composition projects. And the first one is an individual project um, where they tell an audio story that has to have an interview with it. So they um, I want them to get experience interviewing recording the interview and everything that goes in with planning for that. And then um, actually using the interview to tell an audio story. Um, so I have them edit the interview um, and learn how to think about organizing it once you've, you know, you've recorded this raw interview and you ask questions in a certain order and they answer it in, in the order they answered, well, you don't sometimes you don't want to just publish it in that way. And so how do you tell a story? using those audio assets and reconstruct it or um, put it together to, to tell the message that you want to tell. So that's their first one. And they do it individually to, to practice all those things and start learning those things. And then for the final project in podcasting, they do um, a three episode podcast series and I give them lots of freedom for how they want to do it. If they, I want them to work together. So that's one thing that they have to do because um, most podcasts are, are not done individually, they're done um, in collaboration in teams. So I want them to get that experience, but they make their own teams, they pick what they wanna make their episodes about, and then they, they work together to do it. Um, and so actually I taught podcasting in fall 2021, and we had a wonderful opportunity to work with the um, special collections in our library at Oakland University. So there is a, collection in our library that's called the Pontiac Oral History Collection. And it they were it's a collection of 39 interviews that were recorded in the 1970s, actually, in Pontiac, Michigan, which is um, a neighboring community to Oakland University. And they were recorded by an Oakland University employee who wanted to go out and record the stories of Black residents of Pontiac, who had moved to Pontiac um, prior to the 1970s to for work, so actually Pontiac was a big center of industry in the 30s and 40s, I think, and a lot of um, Black residents from the South actually migrated North, moved to Pontiac for work, um, and she wanted to record their stories. So she did on cassette tapes, and here they all are in a box in our special collections in the library. And so with some collaborations um, through the Center for Public Humanities at Oakland University and and the library, the Kresge Library, I learned about the collection and I thought, wow, this would be so wonderful if we could make some audio stories with this material and there's six of the 39 interviews that have been digitized. And so we actually worked with the librarians and got permission to to work within our course with the six um, digitized interviews. So one group of undergraduates from podcasting in the fall um, took on this project and made their three episode podcast series on the Pontiac oral histories. And they were so wonderful. They did such a wonderful job. One of the cool and challenging aspects of the project was that the, the audio recordings they were working with are very old and were recorded with on cassette tapes, like I said, um, and the audio quality wasn't so great. So they were a little bit hard to understand. There was lots of background noise in some of the interviews. And so the students were, Working with and strategizing, how can we use this material? How can we um, make it accessible and understandable to the audiences that they envision for their podcast? So it was a cool project.
0: Chris, so let's talk about your research. In your 2016 article, Methods and Methodologies for Research in Digital Rhetoric, you observe digital rhetoricians and write about using digital composition as a methodology. Can you talk more about what it means to use digital composition as a methodology? And how teachers and researchers might consider drawing on digital rhetoric to help them in their own teaching and through their own research practices. Yes,
1: thank you for asking me this. I love to talk about methods and methodologies. Um, so, I, for my dissertation research uh, when I was in graduate school, decided to record. Well, so I was doing a classroom based study in first year writing on several classes that were doing. Um, digital video composition as part of their curriculum, and I decided to collect data for the study um, in many ways. So I visited classrooms and observed, I did interviews, I worked with the classes, and I recorded a lot of what I observed and my interviews on video. At the time, I thought I wanted to leave it open for however I might use that data for, you know, analyzing it later, for Um, presenting digital products for composing with the material. And so I thought I'll video record this, get the permission obviously to do so from the participants and see what I can do with it later. Little did I know I was opening this (laughs) this door to this wild, wild area where there, um, there isn't that much in our field. you know written down where you can access it and people will give you advice obviously you know you can ask your mentors for advice but you get advice that varies like crazy you know here's what i did here's what i did do this don't do that you know use a pseudonym don't use a pseudonym ever it's crazy, and so I was learning a lot on the fly when I was in graduate school, um, and then thinking, what am I doing, and why am I doing this, and why do why did I collect so much video data that now I have to learn how to use it and what to do with it, um, but it's been wonderful along the way, and I will say it's shaped me as a researcher. Um, I, I am a digital researcher, and I use video as my method and my methodology. It has shaped the way that I think about data and my findings. Um, I've come to conclusions in my research because I was working with video data and was doing video editing as a method that I don't think I would have arrived at if I was just looking at written transcripts of the material and writing about it. Um, you know, in our field, writing as a mode of thinking is kind of an established concept. And I think the same applies for multimodal composition. It's a mode of thinking that is different um, than, than linguistic writing. Um, and it's not better or worse, but it's, it provides different insight. I think when you're listening again and again to participants speak, or when you're juxtaposing what a participant said Three years ago, with what they said a year ago, you know, in time in the video you can see them back to back. Um, or you're deciding what to put together. You know, should I put this clip from this interview next to this piece that I observed and video recorded over here? And what does putting those together um, let me to see and hear about what's going, what's actually going on with the student learning? So um, I found that video as a method and methodology really just Opened up more places where I could look um, for learning from students as I was looking in my study. And then um, my digital book came out a couple of years ago in 2020. And I was so just um, happy that I could publish a lot of the video work that I had been doing. You know, video has been a big part of my own process as a researcher as I go through the data and as I code and analyze things. Um, but it's also a method I think we can use for data presentation and you can put things out there in your publications in different ways if you use um, more than just the written word. And so, so many of our journals and presses now have the ability to publish these kinds of multimodal texts. Even journals that don't really specialize in that or have a lot of digital texts that they publish, they have, many of them have an option. You know, if you wanna have a video, you can have a video in there, um, things like that. So I'm so grateful that my book is a digital book, that there's lots of video material in there um, that I can that people can see and hear and read. Um, the experiences of the participants in my research. So that is really valuable to me.
0: This is my last question. What are some key affordances to using and working with digital technologies in and through research?
1: There's lots of affordances of using video and lots of challenges as well. Um, One of the affordances is that there's many pieces and parts of data that are captured and recorded when you're using something like video um, compared to something like you know, handwritten notes or something like that. So you can see the participant in the video recording, you can hear them, um, you can see how they move their body when they're speaking, you can hear elements of their voice that um, maybe you could transcribe, but you you get, <laughs> I guess, more data at once when you're when you're hearing it. So I was able to do some analysis, um, for example, on some interview material that I did with first-year writing students on how they were moving their hands while they were talking to me about certain topics and and do some thinking about, okay, they said this. The word these words came out of their mouth, <laughs> and then they moved their hands like this, and their body was positioned like this. And so you know, it, it isn't like, okay that Now I know what this means exactly. But there's more more data there for me to think about, you know, did they look nervous when they moved their hand like that? But then their voice didn't sound nervous. And then I also was experimenting with recording more in interviews. So when I first did interviews, um, when I was in graduate school, I used one video camera. When I moved into second phase of my large study on first-year writing, I decided to, to use two video cameras in interviews. And one was focused on the participant that was speaking, and then one was sort of back to get the whole room and me as the interviewer in the shot. And I really wanted that because I wanted to be able to think about and analyze interactions more, how me as the interviewer or how I was part of the the knowledge making in the interview moment and how I asked the question like this here's how I looked and how I moved my body here's the participant and how they moved their body and responded and and said and I don't think all that that information is always necessary or sometimes not useful but sometimes it is in a key moment or when you want to sort of take a step back and look at the entire moment of the interview and, and and, and think about more specifically what was going on there. So that that's some, I guess, some affordances maybe in an interview space when you're using something like video recording. I also think when you're analyzing data, and this is later on in the research process, maybe after you've done interviews or recordings and then you're analyzing them in a video editor, I think I mentioned this before, but for me, it taps into different forms of knowledge making in my brain and i'm not sure if i have the language to really describe exactly what's going on Um, but when i'm when i'm writing and i'm writing sentences and words i'm thinking in a certain way and that helps me to think sometimes you know you don't know what you think about something until you write it out but then when i'm video editing it's 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 a similar moment of thinking through the video editing. So, you know, what do I want to put together in this moment? And then in video editing, maybe even more so than alphabetic writing, I find myself um, replaying clips (laughs) many, many times. So if you're trying to maybe put two or three things together in a video editor, you do it and then you replay it and you listen to it and you watch it. And then you think, oh, not quite right. And you adjust this little thing and then you replay it again. And so, in a way, the video editor, at least for me, forces me to do the kind of recursive writing process that we all want our, <laughs> our writing students to do um, and want ourselves to do when we're doing our own writing. And you're doing it sort of many, many times in the moment. I'm sure we do this with words and sentences as well as we write them down. But it's very obvious to me in a video editor as I try to put something together and make it perfect, and then watch it and watch it and watch it. You know, I kind of sometimes memorize the cadence of someone speaking a certain sentence because I've listened to it so many times. So that's an affordance too. You get really, you get into the data, you hear it and you see it again and again and again.
0: Thanks, Crystal. And thank you, pedagogue listeners and followers. Until next time.